You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash, Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editor, Y. Chan Boy. Hey, everyone. Hey, she. How are you? I'm, I'm back. How's it going? Welcome back. Wow. It's been so long since, you know, you've been on the podcast, but also since you've been in this country. <laughs> yeah, it really has. Uh, I was gone for five weeks, as I mentioned a long time ago. Uh, my wife and I went to Italy. It was, I mean, just like uh, epic beyond words. Um, we posted so many pictures and stuff. If you want to check out, you know, a, a, a visual history of what happened, you can follow me on Instagram at Ben Pears and uh, just see the the craziness there. But we went to so many different cities, HT and eight, like incredible amounts of uh, pasta and and pizza. I mean, I had more pizzas uh, over the five weeks than probably anyone should have in a lifetime. So 
Uh, Every time I looked at your Instagram, I was just seething with jealousy. It looks so fun. It looks so beautiful. Uh, What was your favorite city that you went to? Ooh, yeah, that's that's a tough question. I think it might be a toss-up between Rome and Venice. Um, mm. Venice, I'd heard some like sketchy things about like, oh, it's kind of a dirty city. Like it's, you know, basically like set your expectations low. And I did and was kind of blown away by how much I loved the city. Um, it, it did not seem dirty to me at all. It, it was just like a dreamy it was like stepping into a dream it was incredible so um yeah we did like the gondola ride which of course is like the cheesiest thing that you could possibly imagine but somehow it ended up being like one of my favorite activities that we did on the entire trip just because it was so it was like exactly what you thought it would be but the weather was fantastic and like the city is so gorgeous and it's it's like um it's almost obligatory to do if you go to Venice, you know, that's like the thing about the city is like, oh, you have to take a gondola ride. But it like somehow lived up to expectations and wasn't nearly as um, like touristy or uh, kind of eye rolly as I, as I, uh, you know, maybe anticipated. So um, yeah, that was unreal. And then Rome was like the food there, I think was the best out, out of everywhere that we went. And um I did, we did a uh, a tour of the Colosseum where you got to go underground and like see the um, the staging areas where they used to put you know giraffes and like insane animals uh, down underneath there and then they like lift them up with I think there was something like twenty eight elevators that they had underneath the floor that would lift them up and you know onto the the arena floor and just like imagining you know whatever it was uh, sixty thousand people or whatever the capacity was um just being like having their minds completely blown by you know seeing a bear or some creature that they've never seen before because it comes from some far-flung exotic locale just burst up through the floor and start wrecking people (laughs) it's just like i mean it was it was um yeah uh, a really really cool experience so i think uh, a toss-up between those two oh man those are the two cities in Italy that I hadn't gone to because I'd been, oh, I don't know, like I want to say like 15 years ago when I oh, was, wow. yeah, I was when I, I went with my family when I was in like middle school, high school, and uh, we went to Capri and Pompeii and I think one other city I can't remember exactly what. Um, I ate a lot of gelato. And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I ate. I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Capri and Pompeii were amazing, though. But yeah. um, I really want to go to Venice. I'm so jealous, Ben. Yeah, I, I, we were actually able to go to both Capri and Pompeii, and I, I was blown away by Pompeii because it, I wrote this on Instagram. But like, I, I felt like you know, learning about it in school and just like my, um, my mind's eye view of of what Pompeii was is just sort of like a bunch of shacks and like dirt everywhere and you know maybe some cool columns stand still standing but it is like a full ass city that is huge (laughs) like i i just was not i don't know maybe i hadn't seen any pictures of it since i was 15 or something and just kind of forgot about the the scale of the thing but like you really could spend multiple days just walking up and down the the streets of that thing it it was really um an eye-opening experience there yeah it's amazing uh, and Capri was incredible. I would recommend that's one of those places that like, I think we were like uh, on the, on the fence about like, should we go there? You know, it's this gorgeous little, very, very small Island off the coast. Like, should we go there? Should we spend more time in a bigger city, whatever? And we decided to go. And I'm so glad that we did because it was uh, like one of our favorite spots because um, I don't think you can drive a car there unless you live there. So there wasn't really that much traffic and you, you, 
there was a lot of like just walking around and again, the weather was, we got really, really lucky with that. Um, so just being able to sort of explore a whole Island on foot, um, was incredible. And like the, the views everywhere you look and the, the food was really good there too. We had, I think our best meal at, at a restaurant in Capri. So, um, yeah, if, if anybody happens to be planning a trip, I've, I've talked to several people who have been like, Hey, I'm actually planning, you know, to go. Um, do you have any tips? I would say if you can work it into your schedule, definitely go to Capri. I'm, I'm guessing you still remember it. It doesn't seem like the kind of place that you'd ever forget. Oh yeah. Capri is gorgeous. It's like stepping into a postcard or something. It's beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, one thing I do just distinctly remember though, I think Capri is specifically renowned for its, its limoncello, which is mm-hmm. this like lemon lemony like citrusy alcoholic drink um which i i do remember specifically it was i was underage and a bunch of my cousins were too and we were hiking up this the like this very steep path and stopped by this shop where they were giving out free samples of uh, what we thought were lemon <laughs> was lemonade and my friend my cousin just uh took a shot back it was limoncello and it burned his throat <laughs> after <laughs> so oh. that's my distinct, distinct memory of capri yeah, my wife Amy is a big fan of limoncello, and she had, uh, yeah, a, a good amount of it there too. So, um, yeah, man, great stuff. Highly, highly recommend visiting Italy if you have the uh, the ability and and the um, you know if you're if you're looking like to to pick a place. Uh, there are we we went to so many cities, actually, and there are still several that like I was gone for five weeks and I couldn't hit all of them that we wanted yeah. to hit. Like we didn't go to Milan, we didn't go to Matera, which was the one of the places in uh, No Time to Die, the most recent Bond movie, that oh. one of the opening um, scenes uh, was filmed there, this really uh, ancient-looking um, uh, Italian city. We weren't able to go over there, and there are several spots that, I mean, it's just like such a huge country, um, not like compared to the United States, obviously, but just like uh, culturally, it, it looms so large, and there's so many different places that feel like distinct from each other in really cool ways, so... Uh, okay, uh, I will try to stop talking about this because I'm sure it's annoying to people who, who not don't annoying care at all. I'm yeah. I mean, everyone is just seething with jealousy like me. Uh, <laughs> would it be cheesy if if I were to plan like a, a trip to Italy and I was just like, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna do the call me by your name no. <laughs> location tour. Like that would no. be amazing. Yeah, I don't think that would be cheesy at all. We did. Uh, I mean, speaking of cheesy, like my wife and I did like a, a Roman holiday day when oh, we were in Rome yes. and like went to several of the the locations from that movie. And um, actually, like the the very end of that movie, uh, where Gregory Peck is walking down that really long um, hallway, we took a, a tour of that facility, which is like a, a really, really, um, I don't know what you would call it, elaborate, like, uh, villa that that is run and and operated by this super wealthy family in rome and um i actually got to like walk down that hallway in the same path that that uh, gregory peck did my wife like got down you know it shot me with an iphone and tried to like mimic the the shot oh that's so cool um, yeah really really great stuff there but uh you've been you know not just sitting around at home you've been watching a bunch of good stuff you've got to go to a film festival recently yeah, I've been. I am still attending actually New York Film Festival, which is uh, my favorite festival in that I I've been I've attended at least. I haven't gone to a lot of them, um, but I always really enjoy attending New York Film Festival. It kind of takes the pressure off too because a lot of the films are, have already been shown at uh, Cannes, Venice, 
uh, Toronto Film Festival, etc. So it's basically just me getting to see a bunch of movies for fun um, and movies that I've been really, really looking forward to too. And I've been seeing basically nonstop good movies so far. I haven't seen every single movie yet that's been showing at New York Film Festival, but um, I've just really been enjoying myself. I watched uh, the new Luca Guadagnino, uh, Timothy Chalamet movie, Bones and All, which, oh my God, Ben. <laughs> this movie i i like was silent for like a good f- 15 minutes after i watched this movie just because i <laughs> whoa one of those I was, I was i was so blown away it, it's actually like when i was watching it, i was like oh this is pretty good like it's probably not like my favorite luca guadagnino movie but then after i got out there's like a lump in my throat where i was like i feel like i'm gonna cry uh incredible film it stars uh timothy chalamet and taylor russell as two young cannibals in love um you know driving through america and it's, uh, you know, as much a about sort of that outsider status that being a cannibal affords them as it is about their love story. And it's just beautiful. It's sweeping. It's contemplative. It's slow burning, but it's just uh, fantastic. And Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell are just incredible in it. Um, last 15 minutes of that movie in, in particular, I was like, wow, God, great performances from both of them and just like a great cinematic moment. That Amazing. Was, that yeah. one's definitely on, on my list of things to see. I didn't watch a single movie or TV show for five weeks, actually, which I think is like the longest I've ever gone in my life without ben, watching That must have anything. been very refreshing, though. It was, but it was also really weird because like we didn't even turn on the TV when we got back to the hotel at the end of the night because we just had so much to do and, and so many, you know, we're either like drinking or, or, you know, we worked a little bit during the stretch. I think I worked Mondays and Tuesdays for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were either working or just like, uh, you know, coming back from a late dinner or whatever and like didn't even turn on the TV to like veg out or something like I normally would on a, on a weeknight. And so somehow I went five weeks without watching anything. So it was a really, really sort of um, like jarring experience to come back to the United States and be like, oh, uh, I happened to leave right when House of the Dragon started, right when uh, The Rings of Power started, right when all the good movies started coming out in theaters. So like, I'm, I feel like every day for the rest of this year, I'm going to have to watch like two or three things at a minimum to, in order to catch up by the time the year is over. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good TV on right now too, uh, Ben. It's, it's going to be great. We'll talk about that a little later because I'm going to run through my New York Film Fest stuff first. Amazing, yes. Okay, so uh, I also saw Triangle of Sadness, which is the new movie by Ruben Ostland. Uh, a very funny, very black, like pitch black satire. Um, I actually quite like the latter half, which I know a lot of critics uh, are kind of cold to, but I think that is my favorite part of it. It's, mm. um, so it's a, it's a satire about like the wealthy and stuff about like this luxury yacht um, that like all of these shenanigans go down. Um, there's puke, there's scatological humor, and there's a shipwreck. So I won't, I won't tease anymore because it's actually it's quite fun. Um, I also watched The Eternal Daughter, which is the new movie by Joanna Hogg, who, who directed The Souvenir and Souvenir Part 1, uh, Souvenir Part 2, sorry, and uh, stars Tilla Swinton. A uh, really great ghostly gothic uh, movie about um, a mother-daughter relationship. And uh, Tilda Swinton, always phenomenal. Uh, great in this movie. I really dug it. Uh, just yeah, very that much sounds like, like very much up your alley. It's very up my alley. It's just like <laughs> about, you know, it's it's the it's an atmospheric mood piece that is also about memory and mother-daughter relationships and history. And, and that's very me. So yeah. I was very into it. Um, the new Park Chan-wook movie, Decision to Leave. Excellent movie. Also ex- surprisingly funny. Um, his latest movie yet. And uh, very much 
uh, a remix of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, but not in a way that feels tired. It feels very exciting and invigorating. It feels like it takes a lot of old-fashioned um, camera techniques uh, and uh, styles and kind of re reups them for a modern, uh, you know, audience. And it's hmm. it's really really fun. Um, I think that uh, the performances Tang Wei specifically is fantastic. She is the female lead in this. Uh, you probably won't recognize her unless like you've seen Lust Caution, Ang Lee's uh, erotic drama, also starring Tony Leung. And she's fantastic in it. But that was, I think, her first like major film. And it got her blacklisted in China uh, mm. for like several years because of the very racy content. So like this is, I think, her first major role since Lust Caution, which I think came out in, like mid 2000s or something yeah um so she deserves all the accolades and to be in every movie um it's, it sucks that it's been so long that she's been in a movie but um every everyone should cast her in a movie basically <laughs> um and last movie i saw recently was till which you can read my review of on slashfilm.com um it was the movie that i was probably lukewarmest on i think it was fine i think danielle deadweiler who i who also appears in station 11 i've been informed recently is fantastic. She runs away with the movie. She plays um, Emmett Till's uh, mother, who uh, whose grief kind of turns sparks a revolution uh, following this most brutal hate crime in American history, um, and uh, it's it's pretty good. Um, I think it's I, I have I found it a little bit um, uh, kind of by the numbers at some point at some mm-hmm. parts, but uh, I think Danielle Deadweiler is just really really fantastic star making role for her. Uh, in that film. Um, and I'm, I'm planning to see, I'm seeing Tar tomorrow, which I'm very, very excited for. Oh, cool. And I have a few other movies that I'm planning to see too, like Woman Talking, Armageddon Time, um, She Returned to Saul, and She Said. Uh, I missed White Noise, but I'll figure out a way to watch it. A lot of movies. Yeah. Ben, yeah, a lot of great geez. movies. I mean, that that is kind of an incredible run that you just mentioned there, HC. Like the stuff that you've, not only the stuff you have coming up, but the stuff you've already seen, like the fact that all of it has been like uh, at least good to some degree, that's kind of like, a, a rarity on the the film festival circuit. So, yeah, I, mean, I hope you're uh, you realize how lucky you are. I know that's why New York Film Fest is great because it just kind of it's like gets all the leftovers from the film festivals, but it's also just able to curate all the movies that have gotten the biggest buzz or have the a lot of the prestige around it. So it's really yeah. nice that I can just kind of I don't have to curate myself. I can just be like I'll show up and see what what's up. Yeah, it's a greatest hits. <laughs> uh, okay, awesome. So uh, I I watched three movies on the ten plus hour flight home. Um, so these are the only three movies that I've seen in in five weeks. Uh, I caught up with Lightyear, which I did not really care for. I thought the um, the writing was pretty uh, uninspired. Um, I didn't. I didn't really like almost anything about it. Um, did you see this movie, HG? I did. I reviewed it for Slash Film. I actually, I gave it a positive review, but I was kind of sort of middling on it at the same time. Um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was just kind of, uh, it, it owes a lot to a lot of previous sci-fi movies. It feels very much like a pastiche in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. That was sort of like my biggest problem with it. It it, it had some interesting ideas in there, but all of those ideas have been explored more interestingly elsewhere. And then like, you know, it, it had a big case of like, who is this for syndrome, I think, where, you know, the the general tone of the movie is so much more sort of dark and serious as opposed to like the light and poppy yeah. Buzz Lightyear that what we know world from the Toy would, Story like movies. a five-year-old Andy be like, would this be his favorite movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, the, the idea that it's, um, 
that it's uh, positioned in the way that it is where like, this is the movie that Andy loved as a kid and all that, you know, just, just sort of raises a ton of questions and makes it like um, a less enjoyable experience overall, because you're not really thinking about, or I wasn't anyway, not really thinking about what was happening in the movie so much as like watching it through the fictional Andy's eyes and being like, what this, this is the <laughs> the source material for this character that we know from these other movies. Like, I don't know. It's just a very strange, uh, uh, series of decisions led to the movie Lightyear, and I'm, I'm not necessarily <laughs> a fan of, of many of them. So um, uh, I saw, uh, on the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, I saw uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is, uh, I remember you talking about when when you saw it, and you really liked that a lot. I, I think I edited the, the interviews that you did with the, the filmmakers there. Um, so this has been on my list for a long time to, to catch up with this one, and I'm so glad that I did, because it's I think it's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so... Um, so gentle and, and uh, calming and sort of um, uh, like emotional in the, in the best ways. Like there are movies where um, you can kind of feel they're often like Disney movies where you can feel them. uh, You can almost see on the page, like the, the emotional manipulation happening. And this movie is just, um, it's so pure. It's so um, like it wears its heart on its sleeve and it, it doesn't feel like it's trying to, uh, pull one over on you or like do anything with any sort of like cynical um, reasoning behind it. It just feels like a, a really, really um, stripped down pure story uh, about characters that, you know, I, I feel like I, I saw maybe one of those viral shorts, you know, in 2011 or something like that and haven't really thought about Marcel since then. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I really came away uh, liking this movie a lot. So I hope people have a chance to check it out. We just published an article on Slash Film about how you can watch it at home right now. So maybe I'll try to link to that in the show notes if I remember. But um, yeah, if you skip this one, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out because I think you'll you'll find a lot, a lot to like there. Uh, and then the last movie I saw was Ambulance, Michael Bay's new movie. Did you <laughs> see this one, Aisha? I haven't. Uh, how is it? It is... Okay, it's it's really frenetic. It's also, I mean, speaking of stripped down, it is it it. I think it's something like forty million dollars was the budget, and it feels like um, Michael Bay sort of back in his lane, in the lane that he's supposed to be in after you know the Transformers movies and like uh, Six Underground, which I know that a lot of people hated. I thought it was like okay. Um, this movie I think is is more enjoyable because it doesn't have Ryan Reynolds doing his Ryan Reynolds thing. It, it's um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Jake Gyllenhaal uh, as a pair of brothers who uh, rob a bank in Los Angeles and basically go on like a feature length uh, chase, escape uh, through the the streets of the city and just causing mayhem. And uh, they're trying to keep a police officer alive in the back of the ambulance while they're running from everybody. And it's just about law enforcement closing in on them and uh, the the sort of um, family dynamic that they have and and the dynamics with... um, uh, an EMT who works in the back uh, or who's sort of like caught up in the back. So it sort of reminds me a little bit of like a um, collateral mixed with heat and uh, you know, th- there that are a ton like, of, those are like really good um, like comparisons. <laughs> ben. Yeah. Well, I mean like you can see the influences there. It's, it's not as good as either of those movies, um, but you can see that it, it sort of like snatches little elements from those things and, and tries to uh, create something that has like, um, way more energy than either of those movies, um, which Michael Bay is great at. And the, the one thing that uh, I think is like the big talking point coming out of the movie is these um, his use of the, I think they're called FPV drones, a first person view maybe. I don't remember what that stands for, but these little drones that um, are able to move at incredible speeds and turn on a dime and 
uh, they were used in um, uh, The Gray Man recently, the, the Russo Brothers movie on Netflix. And there was like no um, style, no pizzazz, no like uh, justification, no no reasoning for that movie to use those. But yeah. Michael Bay, I think actually, um, you know, puts the, that new technology to use in a way that I had not seen before and in a way that actually like... Um, actually contributes to the frenetic pacing of this movie and, and actually makes you feel like uh, it, it's an extension of the story that he's telling instead of just, hey, look at this new thing that we're doing. So um, I think it's, it's worth watching for Jake Hall's sort of um, bizarro performance. Like th- this man, I, I don't know if anybody in Hollywood is having more fun than Jake Hall. Like <laughs> over the past, I don't know, 10, 12 years or something, he has just been going all out like playing, you know, coked up weirdos and like people who just like go, uh, you know, crank it up to 11 at all times. So uh, I, I'm loving what Jake Hall is doing in his career and the fact that he's, uh, you know, this is not just like, you know, a, a two year blip in his career where he's like done sort of super intense, um, really wild eyed roles. This, this is like what he does now. And I, I kind of love that for him. So he's in his character actor era and we love it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I've been checking out. Uh, I'll be curious to see what you think about Ambulance if you ever get a chance to check it out, HC, because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very much like not a movie for everybody, but it has like Garrett Dillahunt in there, you know, being like a uh, Southern drawled uh, like SIS agent trying to to track these guys, and then the guy who played Todd from Wedding Crashers, the what? the um, young, <laughs> younger brother who's sort of like ostracized by the family, uh, it also plays like a, an FBI agent who shows up later in the movie, and I was like, what, what the hell is going on here? So there's a lot of uh, of weirdness and and interesting stuff, and and actually like really solid filmmaking at times. Um, you know, amid all of the uh, the quote unquote bayhem that you would expect in a movie like this, so. Uh, what else have you been watching, HD? Well, I've watched quite a few things. Um, I watched a whodunit called See How They Run, which stars Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell and directed by Tom George, who uh, was making his feature directorial debut in this. Uh, it's quite fun. It did, it did kind of feel like Ryan Johnson light, though, uh, but it had a, a meta – um, awareness to it that kind of added, like, gave it a little refreshing factor. At the same time, it's probably one of the more forgettable movies of the year. I'm sure you're like, what is this movie? I haven't even heard of it. It's because it, like, came and went and mm. then disappeared. But I wanted to give it a shout out because it was quite fun. Um, and uh, if you are, you know, stuck inside on a radio DJ, it might be fun to just check out because Sir Sam Rockwell, always great. Sam Rockwell does a British accent in this, by the way, which I was not expecting. I was like, I thought he would play American, but he's a, he's a British inspector here. So that's, that's one fun thing to look forward to. Okay. So it's called see how they run. See how they run. The next thing I watched, oh, this movie I highly, highly recommend, and I highly recommend you watch it because it will get buried in the Netflix algorithm otherwise. It's a movie called Athena. It's the latest film directed by Roman Gavres, and uh, it's set in this um, par- Parisian banlieue, like a like a you know small like urban community that is sort of impoverished, almost like a slum in a way, um, and it takes place uh, following the uh, beating and death of a young um, Arab boy by the hands of uh, the police. So it's about a, it's a police brutality like aftermath thing, and um, basically this entire banlieue. Ben Lu, I can't say it. Uh, I should say I should say it because I'm I know how to speak French or whatever. Um, <laughs> erupts into uh, chaos after the older brother of this young boy uh, start incites a revolution essentially, and um, it's a tale of basically three brothers. One 
brother who's leading this revolution, one brother who works for the French army and is trying to mediate and stop um, the violence, and another brother who is a drug dealer and doesn't want anything to do with the with this. Mm. Um, just, just wants to deal his drugs. Um, and this is an incredible, heart-stopping, thrilling, just uh, edge-of-your-seat kind of film because it takes place, it, it's told exclusively through long takes. The first... 10 minutes of this film are just one long take and it travels from a uh, press conference where you start off in the in a close-up of the soldier brother's eyes before it just pans out and suddenly all chaos breaks loose when a Molotov cocktail is, is thrown into the crowd and it continues through a car chase um, and the camera I it's like ha- like five times I was, I had to be like I was like, how did they do this? And it kept wow. going. It was, it's incredible. It's like I was jaw on the floor the entire time. It's just uh, such a, a spectacle to see. And I think there's been some criticisms where it's like it's all, it's all like this spectacle and there's not much to it. But I actually disagree. There's quite a, a Greek tragedy uh, undercurrent to this entire, this entire movie. It's, it's really, really... Uh, I can recommend it highly enough. Um, it's streaming on Netflix now. Don't let it get buried by the algorithm. Honestly, one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, I've seen, I, I you know, was sort of like checking in occasionally here and there on, on social media and stuff and saw a lot of people talking about this one on, on in my circle anyway, on, on Twitter. And I, I feel like this is one that, um, yeah, like you've said, is, is going to get buried for a majority of people, but hopefully listeners to a show like this and readers of, of Slash Film will, um, will definitely have it on their radar. So I, I certainly do. Yeah, and that's Athena. Check it out now on Netflix. Um, next, I watched Elvis, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, it's exactly what I expect from a Baz Luhrmann biopic of the king. Uh, wild, frenetic, uh, just completely, like, basically coked out type of movie. Uh, I know you're not a big fan of Baz Luhrmann, Ben. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. This is kind of... Like the entire, like you know, the the first like five minutes of Moulin Rouge, which turned a lot of people off before it becomes more of a traditional musical. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> this is that as a oh, no. movie. <laughs> uh, that's one of the worst things you could have said because um, I, I feel like I'm gonna have to watch this, but I'm dreading it because I just know. I think you'll hate it. <laughs> yeah, I know that I'm gonna hate it, which I I hate going into movies thinking that I'm not going to like them. I, I always want to give everything a fair shake. But when I've heard so many people say, describe it in, in that kind of way where like the editing is out of control and like, you know, it, it's just that same style from the, the opening of Moulin Rouge, which I did not care for at all. So um, I don't know. I, I will probably just like watch it and keep my thoughts to myself because who needs to hear me grumble about it? But especially when it's like so obvious that that's what it is. It's not like trying to, again, like trying to pull a fast one on anybody. It's like so clear that this is like what he's doing. And like, I guess you've got to give him props for that. Like he's, he's going, you know, it's that maximalist style that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely maximalist to a T. I think Austin Butler actually is fantastic in it. Uh, the first performance scene uh, that he has as Elvis is electric. That was a moment where I was like, oh, I get it. And it kind of captured sort of the energy around like Elvis himself and like his persona and his legacy. Uh, it's fantastic. And it's also quite a melancholic ending too. I actually quite like that it didn't um, pull any punches when it came to that. It was hmm. as, as much about how uh, – Hollywood and fame and the music industry and Tom Hanks just cartoonishly villainous <laughs> are all just out to make as much money off of this cash cow 
um, as they can. And it leaves a broken man in its wake. It's actually quite, you know, thoughtful in that regard, beneath all of the razzmatazz of mm-hmm. of it all so so is this just is this a movie with a lot of interesting aspects to you or is this would you actually call this a good movie i would call it a good movie i actually okay. really enjoyed this movie but also uh your mileage may vary okay all right fair enough i i will watch it uh and you know maybe i'll, I'll at least find those same things interesting so <laughs> um oh my god i'm, I'm looking at our uh, sh- our shared document here and looking at the, the thing you're going to talk about next and i'm so excited to hear what you think about it oh my gosh i finally watched severance ben and it's yes. incredible um genre tv is really good right now i'm going to do a, like a two a two-hander right now of the two genre tv shows that i've been just watching and really enjoying and that's severance and the rings of power uh, I only want to talk about The Rings of Power like at this moment just because it's so good and it's really captured my attention. And I love being back in that world of that uh, J.R.R. Token created. Um, and it's just, it's you see all the money that they put on screen. Like Amazon did spend like buttloads for Rings of Power, but it looks great. It looks fantastic. And you can see everything. Like I miss fantasy shows being so brightly lit and saturated and beautiful and not in like this dim grayscale that all the prestige TV seems to think that it has to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Rings of Power looks great. I'm really, really enjoying the characters, the world. I love the sort of re-upping of Galadriel as this very like tempestuous character um it's quite good but yeah let's talk about severance ben because uh i just watched the finale yesterday oh holy shit like one of the best episodes of tv i think ever like i think it's fair to, to put it up there what do you what do you think oh my god it's so good um i i did set myself up maybe for disappointment i don't know because jacob brought me in by by comparing it to lost and i don't think any anything will compare to watching lost week to week and being like oh what the F, like that was crazy um, yeah. but severance got pretty close like that finale of my god <laughs> yeah it's so like yeah i, I mean i think i think i've seen the, the lost comparison a lot and like it's it's not quite as mythology heavy like lost was so good because it had a great balance between mythology and like characters with detailed backstories that you actually care about and there are so many characters on the show that there's so much to latch onto. and severance feels a little bit more um uh, slim than that and it, it's more focused i guess is another way that you could say it yeah um like there, the right way to say it there, there's like the the mythology of what's going on at lumen the the big company that adam scott's character works at um which i'm really interested in but then it, it's there's only you know whatever six characters or something like that, that that you really get to know over the course of um of the the first season anyway and it's it's a lot more stripped down and just like uh you know the, it's so masterful the, the way that everything like information is just slowly unspooled to you and then that finale it's like the without giving anything specific away for people who have not caught up yet um the show's on apple tv plus by the way if you haven't heard of it somehow uh please watch it it's incredible ben stiller directed many of the episodes and is like the hell out of it too every time the ben stiller directed by ben stiller credit came up i was like he directed that that was incredible yeah but the, the finale man like the um the things that happen in it several of the things uh are not like big surprises like WTF moments like you would see in a season finale of Lost or something, but you kind of have this, there's like a sense of inevitability to it almost. And it's so, um, it's so impressive on that level for Ben Stiller to be able to, I think he directed the finale to be able to, um, 
to give you that sense that you know what's coming, but also execute on such a level where your heart is still racing as what's what you think is going to happen is about to happen and is happening. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's like, not, it's great TV, like storytelling. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not as much built on like a shock factor or surprise factor, although there are surprises in the episode, um, and, and the season overall, of course, but like the, the execution is just done on such a high level. Um, yeah, I, I'm really glad that you, you watched it. And, and so now you can, uh, be along on the, the season two ride with me when, it, when that comes so out. We'll, we'll talk, we'll just turn this podcast into just like a severance recap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we should. Yeah. We should add it to the list. We so. should. All right. Um, you know, I prepared for one of the most divisive movies that recently hit streaming uh, by watching Some Like It Hot for the first time. And yes, I know. I haven't seen it yet. Everyone should yell at me. Um, it was just a blind spot. Uh, and I don't know why it took me so long. I love Billy Wilder. Uh, and I love Jack Lemmon. And I was, and you know, I hadn't seen a lot of Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe movies. So I was like, I should watch this. I have seen Gentlemen for Blondes, though. Stop yelling at me about not seeing any Marilyn Monroe movies. <laughs> um, anyways, Some Like a Hot. Great movie. Um, the comedic prowess shared between the three leads, Jack Lemmon and Marilyn Monroe in particular, I really, really love seeing them whenever they were on screen. And Billy Wilder is just like, I think one of my favorite directors, honestly, one of my favorite classic Hollywood directors, at least, because he just has such a a touch um, to his movies that is both, you know, it's light, but it also has like a, a, like a melancholy every time to mm-hmm. it. Less so in Some Like It Hot, which is more of a, a comedy, but there's always, I feel like there's a bit more depth to his movies whenever I watch them. And I always really enjoy his films. Yeah, definitely. There's, I think there's a difference between something like Some Like It Hot and like a lot of the, um, you used the word razzmatazz earlier. And so that <laughs> word is in my head now, but I feel like it applies to a lot of that sort of like quick talking, you know, 1930s-esque like uh, screwball comedy kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. the, a lot of those movies are very surface level. And I think Some Like It Hot actually has a little bit more going, you know, slightly under the surface. So um, I, I get what you're saying, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the reason that I was watching Some Like It Hot uh, is because I watched Blonde, the, uh, oh gosh, and Andrew Dominique, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, film that stars Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. Uh, not a biopic, but a fictionalized telling of her life. Um, and I'm just going to say, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I'm kind of, I think everyone's tired of the discourse at this point. I didn't hate it. I see its intentions. Um, I did, and I actually, it was effective to me for a lot of it. Uh, I think it was really fantastically made. Uh, Andrew Dominic has just a handle on creating this dreamlike, surreal vision of uh, Americana, American fame, and all the pitfalls of that. I do think that it, like the middle half really starts to sag quite a bit. Like that's my big complaint about it, uh, especially when it sort of feels like it's more beholden to telling the parts of Marilyn Monroe's life and showing the various films um, and kind of like tying that into her real life. And I wondered if um, it would have been a better movie and if like some of this discourse might have been less um, angry if it wasn't actually about Marilyn Monroe. Um, And I kind of occurred to me before I watched it, but also made kind of, I was feeling this as I was watching it too. I wondered if this was about a Marilyn Monroe type figure, if it's sort of thesis about, you know, her representing um, all of the ills and sicknesses and terrible sins of the um, Hollywood industry mm-hmm. and uh, fame machine, um, if that would be more effective. Um, because it quite reminded me of uh, Satoshi Khan's Millennium Actress 
actually, and you, which you've seen and you absolutely love too. Yes. Um, because Millennium Actress is actually inspired by a real life actress, but it's a fictionalized version too. It just kind of compiles, I think it actually puts together the lives of two actual real life actresses. And is it's more of like a love letter than a deconstruction mm-hmm. um, at, or in like kind of um, – criticism as uh, blonde is but uh i i saw a lot of the similar things i'm like i wonder if if they took the millennium actress route and just went for a fictionalized version if it would have been more effective yeah that's interesting i i have like seen a little bit of blonde discourse but i'm actually glad that i was gone for for most of that because i feel like i'll be able to watch the movie mostly unencumbered from you know the sort of uh, rancor that, that I've seen around it. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm glad to hear that, that you didn't just like outright hate it because uh, it, it seems like there's some interesting stuff there. Um, I guess as long as you can like separate the, uh, the, you know, the movie and what its intentions are and, and not like get twisted that it's trying to do like a, a straight uh, retelling of, of events that actually happened in her life or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, the idea of like, yeah, have you seen um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward? Incredible, incredible film. Dominic's yeah. best film, I think. I, I've only seen that one that, that he's directed. I mean, he directed some episodes of Mindhunter as well, but um, that's the only movie of his that I've seen so far. And that movie is like very much about the idea of celebrity. Like Brad Pitt's uh, Jesse James is like a, a sort of towering figure, almost like a larger than life figure in, in that movie. And um, it seems like something he's doing something similar with, with blonde, like the idea that, that, um, you know, she's this, uh, she's more of an icon than a person almost. Um, and, and that, I don't know, it's, it's just like an interesting uh, continuation, I guess. And uh, of like that, idea and i'm saying, saying this as somebody who hasn't even seen the movie yet but you know just from the outside so no i think that you're right i think that that is him sort of like ha- making a sort of thematic sequel in a way or like continuing this this idea with yeah. both uh, assassination and blonde yeah so uh would you recommend it ashi like uh Try, try to set aside like any conversations that you've heard about it. If you just like, you know, um, ran into a friend uh, that you haven't seen in a few years and they're just like, oh, uh, I heard about this movie. Like, should I watch it? What, what would you say to them? I would recommend it. I'd recommend okay. it to you, I think, Ben. Um, okay. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I also, I would not recommend reading any any of Andrew Dominic's interviews. Do not oh, read yeah. any, anything that he said about this movie. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've I've seen a few of those, so I'll just set that to the side and just uh, watch the movie as as the movie. But um, yeah, okay. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, Ht, it's it's so good to talk to you again. I've, I've missed yeah. uh, you know speaking like even though we're, we're obviously not in the same room, but just you know over uh, over voice, I guess instead yeah. of text. But yeah. Um, and and I want to thank the the listeners for like putting up with us. I I'm have not been paying much attention to what's been going on with the podcast, but I know that Peter's been out, you know, doing uh, Disney stuff and Epcot and all of that. And, and Ryan was busy with film festivals, and the month of September was just like truly insane uh, for for everyone at Slash Film. So uh, I apologize to everybody for being out. I apologize to the listeners for being out for so long. But um, I, I feel like rested and restored and, and ready to uh, to tackle the rest of this year so hopefully people will uh will stick with us and um we have like a bunch of stuff coming up with uh the rest of the the andor recaps and she hulk stuff coming up um so peter and, and the rest of the crew will be um you know tackling those and then uh yeah we're like almost getting to the end of the year so um you know lots of good stuff i think coming down the pike so stay with us uh thank you so much for listening and um hd you can find where can people find your stuff online you can find me writing at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at htranbui.
Excellent. And yes, you can find my stuff at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And uh, yeah, you can find more of the stories uh, that we mentioned on today's show, some some things about the, the movies that we talked about, the TV shows that we've talked about at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhelm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That really does help us out. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.